0: Welcome to Alchemy's podcast, Ideas That Matter, where we meet people making a difference in education. In today's episode, Julia Winter talks with Renee Link, a professor at UC Irvine, about how she implemented the Specs Grading Method in teaching a 1,000-student organic chemistry lab course. Find out what Specs Grading is and why it changes the nature of assessment, teaching, and learning. Hi, I'm Julia Winter with Alchemy. Today we have Renee Link of UC Irvine. And I reached out to her after seeing an article in Chem Archive on specs grading, which is specifications based grading. And I'm super interested to hear how you implemented this at UC Irvine. So, first, just tell me a little bit about what you teach at UC Irvine, and then
1: we'll get right into specs grading. Okay. Hi, Julia. Um, good to see you again. We we see each other occasionally, but you know, good to see you since we can't be at a conference this year. So it's I good think to we, to
0: would to right we would be right now at BCC. This, right yes, now,
1: it, it popped up on my calendar. I forgot to delete it. And I got the pop-up of like, I should be packing. Oh, right. No, I shouldn't. Just I uh, that. But it's good to get to talk to you. Um, so I teach organic chemistry at UC Irvine. And my main job is running the gigantic lab program, um, mainly for the non-chemistry majors. So all the bio majors, public health, all of those majors who need chemistry, but aren't chemists for the most part. Hey, unpack that. How giant is giant? Right. So my, um, my typical largest class is in winter quarter. We're a quarter system school. So I have uh, three quarters of lab, but only two for most majors. And my biggest quarter, I typically have about 1,200 students. Um, oh,
0: my. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, I am the only instructor, but I have graduate student teaching assistants, teaching the lab classes, and then I am kind of overseeing the entire thing. I usually have at least one additional grad student to help me with just management as my head TA. And they're usually students, grad students who are interested in teaching focused careers or maybe exploring whether they might be interested in teach, teaching focused careers. As my job is teaching focused. So I am like a regular full-time academic senate member of faculty. But in the UC system, we have a unique job that is uh, officially called lecture with security of employment, but we get to call it professor of teaching or teaching professors. So we are actually okay. full-time tenure equivalent faculty, but our main job is teaching with like a side part of scholarship. So we do mostly teaching and a little bit of scholarship and then the typical, actually more than typical amount of service usually.
0: I bet it's uh, hard to fit in even that little amount of scholarship.
1: It is challenging. Yes, it is uh, It is challenging to fit that in with the, with the really big teaching load and not having a research group. So that makes it a little, little harder but um you know it's it's still good to be able to keep my toe in the scholarship water you know i'm completely bench chemistry trained so i've been slowly creeping my way into chem ed stuff a little bit at a time it's it's getting a little easier but it's, it's still a challenge and you know trying to piece together the piece the parts that i'm missing as i go but You know, I think
0: you and I both feel that as, as do our team, we're moving, you know, as we're product developers, but we really want our tools to be grounded in research. And it's not an easy thing to break into and, and understand all the pieces. It's not like taking a a spectra and then solving it in the lab or it's just a different world. So that's where we've met at BCCE and at those kind of conferences. So I have to ask, now, I think about a big lab class, and I think about specs grading. And I remember talking to Josh Ring of Lenore Rhine a couple years ago, and I was just fascinated by his move to organic chemistry, lecture-based organic chemistry, and his specs. X grading method, and what I really liked when he explained it, it felt like the instructor and the student were on the same side, that they were both trying to help each other hit their goals, but that's how I saw it, but then when I read your paper, and this was about a lab class, I'm really, really interested into just the genesis. But before we get into that, why don't you just sort of outline what is specs grading and then talk about the genesis at your class, at UC Irvine.
1: Okay, so um, I cannot take any claim for specifications grading. I, I stumbled on it by accident, actually. I was I was looking, not entirely by accident. I had a conversation with um, a colleague, actually at just some colleague event, some chemistry department event. I was talking to one of my colleagues and he was telling me what he does with a graduate level class which isn't specifications grading, but you know, it's a small grad class, the students get a chance, a second chance at exams sometimes and things like that. And his, his philosophy being, I need you to learn it. And whether it takes you a first try or a couple tries, it doesn't matter as long as you learn it. And I said, you know, I wish I could do that. And he said, well, you can. He said, yeah, I have a thousand students, you have 10. It's not the same thing. His response was, oh yeah, I forgot. Um and but you know, I went home that night and my brain just would not stop. It's like there's gotta be a way. There's gotta be a way. There has to be something, there's gotta be something. And I just went down the Google rabbit hole of different types of grading. And I eventually came across specifications grading. And to the way I understand specifications grading, the it's not a brand new thing. It's been around for a little while. Linda Nelson's book called Specifications Grading. Well, that's I eventually found that and that helped me kind of piece things together. But there's lots of examples in lots of different fields, including um, Josh Rings. I saw I found his as well. I had not seen him at BCC. I'm sad I missed that. But I did find his, his ConfCam paper on J.Camed and that was helpful. Uh, but I guess the general idea is laying out specific criteria that students need to meet to get particular grades Um, and just being really specific about what that is and specifications and bundling things so that if you are aiming for a C grade, here is what you need to do. If you are aiming for a B grade, here is what you need to do. If you are aiming for an A grade and how you do that depends on your class and what you decide are the specifications for those individual grades. So that's kind of up to you as an instructor. It can be negotiated with students. So it brings in a little bit of contract grading in that sense. I have a giant class It is really hard to negotiate with a 1,000 people, so I'm dictating the contract, but I try to think about like how, if I were a student, what kind of things would I want in, a, in this? It brings in some aspects of mastery grading in the sense of students get to try things, competency-based and mastery-based grading, where students get to try multiple times. However, for specs grading, especially for a large-scale class, I, I can't have students resubmitting things five, six, seven times because there's, that's just not feasible for me or for the grad student TAs who, who do a lot of the grading. So you kind of bring in a, the ability to resubmit work if it doesn't meet the criteria for passing or for, for high enough quality as a passing grade, but also limiting it because you can't resubmit everything and you can't do it five times because we're going to run out of time to get this graded, right?
0: You know, I was sort of interested in your token system is that right. something you came up with on your own? or No, was that-, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no that is actually uh, kind of a, a across the board for most specification grading is a token system. And the idea there is also how you limit resubmissions, but also giving students the choices. So when you're laying out bundles of like, here's what you need for a C, here's what you need for a B, here's what you need for an A. We're also like acknowledging that students have different goals in the class. You know, we as educators, like everyone should be aiming for an A, but that's just not reality. We, I try to encourage my students to aim as high as possible, but I'm thinking back to stu- other, like my peers in school and not all of my peers decided to go to grad school and plenty of them were like, you know what, a C is totally fine for me right now based on, you know, my work schedule, my family obligations and everything else. So, you know, I'm not going to dictate to students, this is the grade you should be aiming for. I try to encourage them to aim higher, but it's ultimately their choice of like it gives what them they agency. want to
0: do. I, right. I I do yeah. like that piece, that it is it is up to them to yes. to get it to get to the level they need. So rather than somebody coming in at the end, I just need an A, and I'm like, well, there You're was something you deal. should have done earlier. Now yeah. they actually come in and know what they need to do. Right. So can they earn tokens, or yeah. they just can use tokens?
1: Oh, no, you can earn. this. So um, the way I have mine set up is that uh, to get their initial tokens, I have them do some aspect of like a self-regulated learning activity. Pre-pandemic, I did a, um, how I earned an A. So what I asked students to do pre-pandemic was uh, write a letter to yourself. It's the end of the quarter. Your grades are just released. You see that A. What did you do? What were the concrete steps you took to make this happen? Write it as if it has already happened. And then just, and they could write whatever they want. It's personal to them. There's no right answer. It was their choice. Um, And then just for doing that, I would give them some tokens up front. And then we had various things throughout the the course where they could earn extra. Uh, One thing I implemented after my first round, uh, my initial pilot learned some things. And one of the things Mm -hmm. I did is have them go back to the original thing about mid quarter, go back to the original and say, you said you were going to do these things. Are you doing them? If not, maybe it's time to make a course correction for what you're what you're uh, aiming for in the class and so they would earn a a bonus token just for doing that i also give them opportunities to mid-course feedback and so just for filling it out you know if you want good feedback you've got to incentivize people to actually give you feedback and so we use it for things for often for things like that so i tend to make it um low stakes no right answer things that are still beneficial to them as a student
0: So I have to ask, based on even resubmissions and this token, was it hard to keep track even, you know, I know a lot of the the assessments were all or nothing, so your TAs didn't have, they just had to decide whether it was satisfactory or unsatisfactory. But was keeping
1: track of submissions and tokens, was that onerous? it was no more onerous than anything else in a thousand person class. So, I mean, when you have a thousand people, things are always going to be time consuming, but it becomes a trade-off. So one of the nice things about tokens is what students can use them for. Like I need to turn this assignment in late. Sure. I will trade you a token for that. I do not need the why. I do not need the five page explanation of what is happening that you need to do this. Just tell me you need to turn in late, trade me a token. We're good. Of course, if somebody has real extenuating circumstances and they need to talk to me about how do we how do I maintain my progress in this class while dealing with this other thing? That's fine. But for the most part, it, it does away with me having to make a decision about, you know, are they really sick? You know what? I don't care. I mean, I care that you're sick, but I don't care if that's your excuse or not. Just trade a token and we're good. You know, we don't have to get into all that. So it saves me time there. As far as logistically how to do it, what we did is I set up a Google form and it's still evolving and I try to make it as direct as possible. Like, what are you trading a token for? And then that kind of sends them down a different path and within the form of whether it needs to go directly to me or to the t- to their TA. And I have a head TA. When I have a thousand people, I have a head TA mm-hmm. <laughs> and that person helps me do this. But basically what we did is, you know, every 24 to 48 hours, we'd go through the form, you know, Google form gives you a spreadsheet. And we added a column on our spreadsheet of like, has this been addressed or not? And we just put an X if it's, if one of us is taking care of it. And then we just kind of go through, you know, once a, once a day or every other day, and go through. Okay, this person is late pass. Confirm with the the TA, and then uh, we use Canvas as our LMS. And I have a, a dummy assignment in the gradebook, which is essentially their whatever they did to earn a token, earn their tokens in the beginning. That's their like token balance assignment. And I just change the score on that assignment, and I leave a comment for what it was, so that way I can see it, the TA can see it, the student can see it, where we all know what's going on. And it's really it's not that bad. Even with a thousand so, people, it's not say
0: they're going to do a spectroscopy uh, assessment, or I, I don't even know. I'm making that up, right? And sure. do they have a week to do that? Because I can always see. Oh, remember, I wanted to do that three weeks ago. Do they have a certain amount of time to pass
1: through this, oh, or to, for a resubmit? Yes. Yeah. So, um, generally, it's a seventy-two hour window. So. Oh, um, okay. Have- quick. Yeah. And, and based on some student feedback, I may adjust that. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if that's the best one or if I, or, you know, some some students are like, oh, well, sometimes I have midterms and so maybe I'll extend it another day. I don't, I'm still trying to sort that out. And I think that also depends on your class, right? Like That's going to kind of be an individual thing, but they have a specific turnaround time. I have occasionally negotiated with students where they're like, I didn't think I needed to resubmit it, but now I do. And now it's a little later, can I do something? And usually at that point we'll have a discussion about like, okay, why did this happen? What should we do about it? And what I found really effective is rather than me tell the student what we're gonna do, I just ask them. I say, okay, so you're asking me, you didn't resubmit it when you needed to and other people did. And now you're asking me to give you another chance at this. What do you think is fair? because other people did it and you didn't. So what's fair to both you and them? And I just let them come up with it. And 99% of the time, they come up with a perfectly reasonable compromise. And oh, well, that's good. That, as I said, I love student agency. These are adults, yeah. by the way. These are yeah, not, exactly. you know. Yeah. We're talking about college students who, some of them are between 18 and 22, but I have students who are my age and I have students who are older than me. So You know, there are a range of adults with a range of experiences. I also, uh, I see part of my job is also preparing the ones who maybe don't have as much experience for, you know, what the working world will be like. Some of them have that experience and they don't need it, but others need some experience. And I say, you know, if you're in a job and you're coming to your boss with a problem, you should also come with a solution. Right. (laughs) No, that's always good. comes with a solution. So so you're coming to me with a problem. I would also like you to propose a solution. It may not be the solution we go with. But we should have a starting point. So, what do you think is a good place for us to start this conversation? And they're usually really surprised that I just ask them that (laughs) instead of me telling them what it's going to be. But, you know, once I give them a little bit to think about it, they usually come back with a great solution. And and then it's not an issue because they came up with it. So, they're not, you know, they think it's fair. I usually try to make sure it's something fair. Sometimes they're too hard on themselves and I need to like back them off. Like, no, no, you don't have to go that far. It's just been so much more pleasant
0: honestly, to have that kind of relationship. Well, that's good to hear. Well, I like hearing the conversations that happen because a lot of times I think students just think they're a number. And right. then and then this way they actually can be part of the discussion. You know, I remember reading papers when people started to flip classrooms and, uh-huh. and change things around. And you really have to do a bit of a marketing pitch at the beginning yep. to get students on board and I know you alluded to this in your paper. How did you explain to students this new system of grading? And how did your explanation go? Did, were there things you need to do
1: better? Or So at this point, I'm a full year into this project. Um, so the, the preprint paper you're talking about was from last, the class we did last summer. So I've now scaled it from that small 30-something person class up to over 100 to 200 in fall to over 1,000 in winter I did it with our emergency remote version in spring and I'm doing it right now with an online slash remote lecture class as well. So I've been able to evolve my explanation over time based on student concerns that that come up. Um, So my initial one, I tried to pitch it as like you get to choose your grade. Here's really clear expectations what your grades are. Before this, it was really hard in a lab class. For students to ever track what their grade was, because I've got to normalize across all these TAs and like there's all these moving parts and it's really complicated. And so just like I can never tell a student what their grade was. I'm like I don't know. Looks like you're doing okay. <laughs> it's the best I can tell them. And now you can say, well, let's get your grade tracker out. What have you checked off? What do you still need to do? Here's where you are. It's very straightforward. I started with that pitch. It kind of worked, kind of didn't. One of the things I started doing. Which I'm going to keep doing is from day one the first thing I tell them is I've turned around that old like trope about stem classes in general they like look to your left or your right two of you aren't going to pass no no so now what I do is I say like look around at everyone in this room you are not competing with any of them
0: you no, that's what I love I
1: love that with these people yeah so and I straight up explained like here are the criteria for an A in this class if everyone in this room meets this criteria Everyone gets an A, and they just look at me like, "What?" <laughs> and that's really interesting. They like, often will come back and say, "You can't actually do that, can you?" I'm like, "Yes, I can. I absolutely can, and I will." It hasn't happened. I w- I'm hoping for the day where it actually happens. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm hoping someday we'll get there. Well, and, and
0: that just yeah. takes it to a different level. As I said from the very beginning, when I first introduced to this, is that it be, it changes the relationship of the instructor with the student the grades are defined you know what you want to do let me help you get to your goal and now all of a sudden assessment isn't this high stakes thing you know at the end or the lab class and by the way I hated grading lab reports so like it was the bane of my existence as an instructor I just think this makes it cleaner. My head as a product designer is sitting here going, oh, we can figure this out.
1: Yeah, I will say one of the hardest parts of the logistics is the fact that no LMS is geared for this. So like one of the things that I get a lot of pushback on is students feel like, um, you know, if they don't meet the criteria for passing grade or a satisfactory grade on an assignment, it doesn't count. So a couple of things they don't like that they, when they just miss it by one, and I said, mm. okay, well, then if I lower it by one, then someone else will just miss it by one, right? Like there's no- right, There has to be a cutoff. There has to be a cutoff. And they don't like, there's a cutoff, but I, this, is, I, this is more of a welcome to life situation. You always will, somebody's going to end up on the other side of the cutoff, but I have to remind them, you get to try again. It's okay to try again. The thing that I feel like is really demotivating about it actually has to do with how it's displayed. So my only way to manage this in you know stuck in an LMS gradebook which I have to use with a thousand people like I really can't escape yes. it with that big of a class is that I have to go binary one or zero right and so they see the zero and they're like oh, oh I got a zero and I'm like no it's not a zero it just means you need to try again so it's like if I could have something that says try again <laughs> or you know Well, that reminds me of cubes
0: in graduate school though you know it was either um,
1: yeah. up or down <laughs> oh I did not have to do cubes so I'm going to, I picked a program without them, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I have heard stories, but yeah, exactly. I and mean, we kind of like candidacy, like either you passed or you didn't, you need to try again.
0: Or uh, you didn't get the job yeah. like 99 other people and one person did. So, you know, right. it is life, It is. But it, But it is nice they get to try again and then they can't just waste all their tokens keeping trying. Um, So they have to discriminate on whether it's worth it here. Now, I have to ask, you know, we're we're getting close to the end and I'm sure we could talk forever because I want to pick your brain on how to make this work in an LMS. But that's another conversation. How do you do the practical piece? So I looked at for an A, you have to get four to six of the skills done. That is all handled by the TAs. It feels sort of
1: like badging, isn't it? Or- uh, so, so sort of. So I split my, what used to be a practical exam into multiple parts. And this part, I'm still kind of trying to zero in on how to make this work the best. The students feel stressed that it's like spread out over multiple days. But I thought that would be less stress because it's like you have pieces and you only have to focus on one piece at a time. But they're like, no, I just want one big exam. I'm like, man, what have we done to like students and you know, throughout their education to make them want this? So, <laughs> so I, I- That's a whole nother question, that. yeah, that's, a, that's hours of another podcast interview. But we um, broke it into pieces. And so it's like, you know, for different letter grades, you need to do this, these techniques in the lab. And then there's kind of a, a multiple choice, fundamental knowledge final that everyone has to take. And I'd let people take it a second time if they don't pass. And I would say all of all the times I've done, it, I've only had maybe three or four people total not pass on the second try. So they, they take it, they get their score back. They're like, oh no, I did not know this as well. I usually have like emergency office hours. Many of them, when people come and ask questions, they get caught up and they pass it on the second try, which is what we want, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a quick little safety test. Those are the things everyone has to do. For higher grades, you need to do more things. So there's uh, the open-ended exam questions are for B and A level grade. And the way I've split it is I basically have three categories of question. There's two questions in each category. And ideally you just pass one out of each category for an A, but you can do as many as you want. So you can try both of them. And if one of them's wrong and one of them's right, the right one counts, then wrong one never happened. And you do this all during the lab session. Uh, yeah, I do it across two weeks during the lab session. Okay. The one week is the extra techniques for people who aren't B and A level. That's an off week. If you're only aiming for a C, you don't have to do anything that week. And then the rest of it, the, the mandatory things are during the lab and our 10th okay. week our normal finals week for us. And then okay. I, the multiple choice happens in lab lecture. So it's it's little pieces. And so I've tried to design also, there's lots of time. So it's like their multiple choice quest- test is 14 questions and they have an hour.
0: So okay, no,
1: it's not, it's, I try to minimize the pressure on it. they have a practice test from day one they can study from, you know, so I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm trying to make things as transparent as possible.
0: So did they like it after doing this from the pilot to last year, through the pandemic, through this summer, do you like it and do the students like it?
1: I like it. (laughs) Um, I definitely like it because it's really changed the conversation I have with students. The students, they like it, the more they're exposed to it, just like anything. And I was like, you were mentioning flip classroom stuff. I was in the early days of that as well. And like the first time they saw it, they're like, ah, this is terrible. You know, and as they got more accustomed to it, it became better. And usually what I see is they, they like it after they get their grades, once they realize that their grade is fine. And I've actually shown students the grade distributions for the two different classes under different grading systems. And they're like, Uh, just like with anything, there's some things they don't like, they don't like that it's all or nothing. Like people, some people want partial credit back. uh, And they're like, it's not fair that I put in effort and get points. And it's like, well, there's lots of things in life where I put in a lot of effort and don't get anything like grants. Grants. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Or I also use, uh, use publications as an example. It's like, I have to write these papers and I submit it. And I get it back, and it says needs revision, and well, I have to revise rejected, it or even. rejected, yeah. But I have to revise it and resubmit it, or I don't get credit. <laughs> like it's
0: right. I don't get Yeah, credit. it's all learning. I mean, I, we're educators. It's all right. about learning, and so and learning is more than just the content. You know, my philosophy. I think about the students I taught twenty years ago. They don't remember much of anything, but they knew they had to hit deadlines. They knew de- they had to be motivated. Yeah. They, You know, those kind of things are. Right lessons that come with education. So, you know, Renee, this has been fabulous. I, I'm just kudos to you for trying this in a big class. I think I've seen it more in smaller classes. I've been very interested in spec screening. Just I've been collecting people who are trying it in the chemistry community. And then I'm trying to get their perspective. I think it's fabulous that what you've done at UC Irvine and was really fun coming and visiting you when I was in California. We'll wrap it up here. Hopefully the world will go back to normal (laughs) sometime and we will see each other at one of those either Gordon Conference or BCCE. Thanks so much for your time. No problem. Thank you for having me. Be a part of our growing community. Join the discussion and follow us at Learn Alchemy on Instagram and Twitter. This podcast was created and published by Alchemy, edited by Liz Gross, and produced and narrated by Tiffany Jones.